Thank you. Brilliant, thank you. Um, good morning. Good morning. Uh, this is different. <laughs> uh, it's been a while since I've stood up and tried to do something like this. So, uh, good morning anyway. Um, today I'm hoping to share with you some of the feedback from the prayer ministry course I was on um, in November and December last year. Um, but I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on that. Um, I hope to be focusing from that on the importance of recognizing and listening to God's voice as we seek to serve Him, experiencing His presence. And I'll explain that further. But I don't think that I can really do this without acknowledging that um, there's times when some of us feel that we struggle to hear Him. There's times that we struggle to feel His presence. So I want to talk about that a little bit too. And I'd like also to encourage you that you probably do hear him more than you think. Um, and to try and to recognize just different times when he's speaking to you and learn how to recognize that he is speaking to you. Because um, sometimes I think he speaks to us in ways that we don't realize he's speaking to us. But I'll explain that further too. There's also opposition to his voice. Um, and there are circumstances that prevent us from hearing him. So I'm going to touch on some of the barriers that we have to hearing his voice. And then finally, I'd like us to think about how we respond. Is there anything that we can do to help us to hear him better? So before we go any further, I want to just admit that I'm, well, just say I'm not standing up here claiming to be an expert. Um, I'm no better at hearing his voice probably than any of you. Um, I'm not an expert at hearing from God. It's an area of interest for me. I'm seeking to do it more, and it's, it's actually something I'm going to be doing over the next year, really looking into this a bit further. But, um, yeah, so I do feel a little bit out of my depth starting to teach you on this before I feel that I'm an expert at it. Um, I'm very aware that I see through a glass darkly, um, and that... There is so much more that I can learn about it. And what I'm teaching you this morning is very incomplete. Um, but at the same time, I do feel that God has been putting this on my heart. He has been speaking to me about some of these things. Um, and I feel it's something that, that I should be sharing. Um, so we're thinking about what it means to hear God's voice this morning. Um, so I want you to be interruptible. If you feel that God is speaking to you about anything in particular this morning, don't worry if your mind wanders over that thing and you stop listening to what I'm saying. I don't mind. It's what we're here for. We're here to listen to him, not me. Um, also, this is a bit of an overview this morning. So we're going to cover quite a lot of ground. Um, you probably would have noticed that from even telling you what we're going to do. So we're going to cover a lot of ground over a short time. Um, so if you just managed to focus on one thing this morning, Stick with that um, and let that speak to you. So we'll start by sharing a quick synopsis of what I learned on the prayer course uh, or some of the things. I'm not going to spend long on this as many of the things that we learned were practical ways in which we set up prayer ministry. So things like where do you sit, what questions do you ask, what qualifications there are for team members. And I think it would be quite dry, uh, especially when we're not doing it practically, if I share those things. Um, and then much of the rest of the course covered some of the ground that we've already covered in our series on the Holy Spirit, so things like tongues and prophecy. Um, and so we've covered a lot of the ground anyway. Um, and though I'm being brief on what the prayer course was about, it's not because I don't value what I learned from it. I found it extremely helpful. And actually, if it comes up again, I'd recommend some of you go on it. Um, I hope to be implementing some of the things that I learned on it at the Ark and maybe here at some point. Um, but I want to spend the bulk of my time on some of those questions that came out of it for me and may have come out of the series on the Holy Spirit for you as well. Um, more of the challenges and the questions that we have. The course was run by Kairos Trust uh, in conjunction with Belfast Bible College. You can look them up online. And the person leading the course was Derek McKelvey, who was a Presbyterian minister, and he had been running prayer ministry in a couple of the churches that he was ministering for, I think, over 30 years. And he was at Fisherwick for over 20, 
running prayer ministry there. Um, he was sharing the theology of prayer ministry, some of the stories of his experiences. And like I said, much of the course was practical. We would split into small groups and actually try and pray for one another um, as best we could. He started the course by explaining what prayer was. And he said it was a way of uh, communicating, connecting with God in conversation. And in order for, that, for any conversation to work well, both parties of the conversation need to be present and aware of one another's presence. Um, so he suggested that God is always present. Um, read Psalm 139, it talks about how can I even hide from your presence, Lord? He's always with you. If I go to the depths of the earth, he's there. Wherever I am, he's there. So he is present, but sometimes we're just not aware of his presence. So he suggested it would be good for us to practice before each time we pray, just becoming aware of the person that we're speaking to. So if nothing else um, speaks to you this morning, if you take nothing else, if you don't already do this before you pray, I'd like you to try and just, before you pray each time this week, to spend a few minutes becoming aware of the presence of the one that you're speaking to. I think it could transform your prayer life. We spent some time uh, practicing this. It was also homework for the first week. Um, so, yeah, it's just doing that was really helpful and I found it really helpful. It's something I've done in the past and I'd maybe slipped away from and just going back to it, I found it really helpful. He then talked a bit about the difference between prayer ministry and intercession. Um, which I thought was strange before the course because he had said that he was going to talk about this and I thought surely prayer ministry is intercession. But he likened intercession to when we hear somebody's need, we turn to God and we bring that need before God. And he said that's intercession. So he, he explained that that's what Jesus did in John 17, the high priestly prayer. He was so seen our need or in the need of the disciples and he prayed for unity and he prayed for protection on his disciples and the ones that would follow them so he prayed for us and that was a prayer of intercession and it was a long prayer and then he described prayer ministry more like the healing ministry he did in John chapter 5 where he healed the paralyzed man by the pool of Bethsaida and he just spoke to him and healed him or where he called Lazarus out of the tomb and he spoke so what he did was he listened to God and he turned to the person and he spoke to the person uh, and spoke a blessing over them and claimed the authority that God had given him over the person. How do we know that he listened to God first before he did this? Well, when Jesus was questioned about healing the man by the pool of Bethsaida in John chapter 5, he says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, which is quite a statement, nothing, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So he had a look, he was being guided by the Father into what he should do. He didn't just do it of his own accord. Derek McAlvey, the guy leading the course, likened this to the role of priests in the Old Testament where we, they spoke blessing over the people. They didn't turn to God and pray for blessing on the people of Israel, but they were told to bless the people of Israel, to speak over them and say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious. So part of the role of the priest was to speak blessing over the people. And we are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So we should be blessing the people around us. That's Peter. So like I said, there's more teaching through the rest of the course covering the Holy Spirit, cessationism, prophecy, tongues, uh, much of which we covered here in our series on the Holy Spirit. And then there was lots of practical teaching on how prayer ministry was organized, along with stories of pitfalls and successes. And that they, were, they were amazing and they built faith as you listen to people's stories. But much of the course was based on the practice of listening to God on hearing what he had to say to others and then trying to share that with them. And we did this in a safe environment where it was okay to make mistakes because now we see in part and we prophesy in part. 
So Derek was keen to point out that we don't always hear things clearly and often when we try and interpret what we hear, we can get that wrong. So he suggested that it's actually quite dangerous to say to people, this is what God is saying to you, but rather to say to them, I'm getting this picture, does it mean anything to you? And um, if God was speaking to them through it, it was likely they would know. So, go back to the question of why did Jesus do only what he saw the Father doing? It seems a strange thing, because if he was God and he was on earth, why did he need to do that? Why didn't he just do what he wanted to? Because he was God. Well, I'm going to suggest that when Jesus came to earth, he gave up some of his rights as God. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 says that he, uh, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? He made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. He was like man. So it seems that when Jesus became man, he gave up some of his rights. He emptied himself of something of what it meant to be God. And we can see this when we think about, if we think about what we think about when we think about God. When I think about God, I think of the omnis, the omnipresent. He's, he's everywhere at the same time. He's omniscient. He knows everything all of the time. And he's uh, omniscient. Uh, omnipotent he's all-powerful he can do whatever he wants um, and if we think about those in relation to Jesus well it's quite obvious he wasn't omnipresent he limited himself he was in one place at one time whilst he was on earth it's also probable he wasn't omnipotent it says when he was in Nazareth that he was not able to do many miracles there because of their unbelief it's also not likely that he was omniscient or knowing. He said himself that no one knows the day or the hour except the Father. So he had given up some of his knowledge. And he asked people questions. So he would have said to them, how long have you been like this before he healed them? How, how long has that child been like this? Um, so he had given up knowledge. Now it's true that there's times when he did seem to have knowledge that he shouldn't have had. He seemed to know people's thoughts and he knew the future about certain things. But is this because the Father was revealing these things to him at the time? It's interesting that Jesus didn't do any ministry or miraculous ministry until after he was baptized and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. So Jesus had given up his rights as God, and he operated by the leading of the Father and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So, you may ask, well, yes, that's Jesus. That's how he operated. Should we operate in the same way? And I think from the Holy Spirit series that we did, and I'm going to suggest the same, the answer is yes. Uh, we operate in exactly the same way. Um, Jesus told his disciples, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you before you go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't expect them to be able to operate effectively in their own power, but they needed the voice of God and the power of the Spirit. And when the disciples did receive the Spirit, we then see them operating almost exactly like Jesus operated. They went around and they declared blessing on people, told them to rise up and walk or whatever the healing was. And even the things that they taught were only given to them because they were listening to what the Spirit taught them. John 14, But the Holy Spirit, the Helper, will come upon you, and He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Um, and one of the clinches for me in this is that um, in First John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, Whoever abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. So if we abide in Jesus, then we need to be walking the same way that he walked. So if Jesus walked in a way where he had to do only what he saw the Father doing, why do we think that we can walk any differently and be effective? 
was actually thinking this morning about a different one, where we are Jesus' arms and feet and fingers and toes. But if there's no communication between the head and the arm or the feet or the finger or the toe, then how is that finger or toe going to move? How is it going to do anything useful? We need to be listening to the Father before we can do anything. If we're not, we end up paralyzed, basically. So, I'm sure none of this is new, and actually after the series on the Holy Spirit, you all agree with it anyway. <laughs> um, that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, that we need them to do anything effective. Um, but it brings up the issue for some of us that we want to, we've been trying to, we've been praying and we've been seeking God, but we feel like we're hearing very little. Um, some of us, I think most of us would say that we hear God very clearly at times, and then other times that connection seems to be broken and we hear very little. We would like to hear him more. So for me to deal with these issues, I sort of took a step back and thought, what, what, what sort of things can I think about? And I think two main questions we need to answer to think about how we improve our connection with God is, well, how do we hear him to start with? And then how do we know that it's him talking to us? So how do we hear him? I believe that if you're a Christian, it's likely that you do hear him already, at least occasionally. But I'd also like to suggest you actually probably hear him more than you think you do. Um, and I'll give some examples of this later. It may be that God is speaking to you frequently and that you can hear him. But actually you don't realize that that's what's happening because it's all a bit too ordinary for you. You expect the spectacular. Um, but even in scripture, the spectacular was quite rare and probably didn't feel as spectacular as we think to the people who were receiving it at the time. Even when Paul talks about being taken up into the seventh heaven and being filled with revelations of God, he said it was 14 years previously. This wasn't an everyday event. Um, Joseph had these amazing dreams and he was able to interpret dreams. But actually, when you count the number of dreams and interpretations that are mentioned in the Bible, there's only a few. He lived to over 100. Um, if you split those up between the years, it probably didn't feel that spectacular. And they were just dreams. We have dreams all the time. Are we prepared that God could be speaking to us through them? Sometimes in Scripture, God seems to speak most plainly and clearly, clearly to people, even when he's hidden from them at the time. So, for example, on the road to Emmaus, at the end of Luke chapter 24, Jesus pulls alongside two disciples who are walking down the road. They're discussing Jesus' death and the rumors of his resurrection. And he pulls alongside and he comes in disguise. He prevents them from recognizing him. And as they walk down the road, he teaches them amazing truths, the best Bible study there ever was from Scripture about who he was and why he had to why things had to be the way that they were. But he didn't have to do it that way. He could have appeared in a bright light or puff of smoke or whatever and said, I am God, this is what it's all about. But he chose to use scripture and to speak to them through just a very ordinary way of going. It was only afterwards that when they reflected on it and they said, we're not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road. Um, that they began to see just how it was. And actually, that's something I would like us to consider. I think it's really a good thing, a really big thing to learn from that story is that if we reflect on the ways that God has spoken to us in the past and we reflect on how it made us feel, how it stirred our spirits within us, it makes us more aware of when he is speaking to us constant, currently. If we feel our spirits being stirred, even if it's in something quite ordinary, Perhaps that's God speaking to us. There's loads you can learn from that story, uh, even how God never contradicts Scripture, that he's, 
he uses it to teach even some of his most amazing new teachings. They're there in scripture. They're just revealed in a new way to us. So how do we hear God? Or how does he speak? Well, he speaks in many ways, thousands of ways, more than I can list. For example, he speaks to people in pictures, dreams, visions. Some hear his voice. Moses spoke to him face to face. The priests used the Urim and Thurim. I'm not even sure what those are. Um, the Bible says that he speaks through creation. That's amazing. It's a massive way in which he speaks. Just the way that he's ordered the world says so much about who he is. And often he speaks in a still, small voice. A prompting, a thought that you cannot get out of your head. And some people say it's sort of soft enough to ignore if we want to, but it's loud enough to hear if we're willing to listen. I think a very useful exercise for us to do as a church one day, and maybe we'll do this one day, would be to gather together and for people to be able to share how they've heard God in the past. Because as we hear how different people hear God, I think it encourages us more to listen to him in those ways and even to realize that there are those ways available to hear him. Um, yeah. There's a couple of stories, which I don't have in here either, uh, that were shared on the prayer course and, and I've also seen online where people had messages for other people and they had a picture that came to them and they shared it with the person very gently going, does this mean anything to you? And the picture blew the other person away. And when asked about how confident they were that that was God's voice speaking to the person doing the prophesying, they said, well, I was about 10% sure. But if you ask the person who received it, they were 100% sure that God had spoken. And sometimes we have pictures that come to us and we're afraid to share them because we're not sure. Um, but if we can learn to share them in a gentle way, that isn't saying, look, this is God's word, but does this mean anything to you? Perhaps it could blow somebody away and change their day, their life, just their situation. Uh, off track, where am I? Um, yeah, God speaks in thousands of ways. Um, and the trick is learning to recognize his voice and to learn to know when he's speaking to us particularly. So this leads us into our next question of if God is speaking quietly, so quietly that we can ignore him, how do we know that it's his voice anyway? So we already mentioned the disciples on the road to Emmaus, there was a burning in their hearts. And sometimes I know I've had that or just an unsettledness, a thought that's impossible to ignore and we can't rest until we do something about it. Ruth has a story about that. When she came back, she went on Exodus team to South Africa. When she came back, she was unsettled. God had said she was going to do a new thing through the same verses that David preached on last week. And she could not settle. She ended up taking career break, moving country, and I'll let her tell the rest of her story sometime, but changed her life. Another way of recognizing that God has spoken to us is when he is saying something to you and it's confirmed by other people. So, or if lots of people hear the same thing at the same time, or if circumstances happen that are just too close to just be a coincidence, um, we start to see confirmation that God is speaking to us in that way. This happened to me on the prayer course and opened up to me a whole new way in which I had been listening to God but hadn't realized I was and started to recognize it. One of our homeworks that we were given was an exercise to try and hear God in what we saw around us through the week based on what one of the prophets did. I think it was Jeremiah where he was walking down the street and God would say to him, what do you see? He'd say, I see a pot turned over to the north and this content spilling out and God would say, this is what that means. And the idea was we were to ask God to speak to us each day through the things that we saw. If anything stood out to us, we were to ask God what we thought it meant, what, what it meant to us, and what we could learn from it. 
And I found this very fruitful. I was saying things all the time uh, that week. And I was able to connect a lot of what I saw with scriptures that I've been reading. But the problem I had was, well, is that just my imagination? Am I just able to connect things that I see with scripture? Um, I'd never heard of anyone listening to God's voice in this sort of way before. I'd never heard it described that way. Um, I thought it was just my own mind. And I was concerned I was just making it up. I had lots of images and thoughts during that week about God's glory and of it being reflected into dark places. That's where my mind was at. I was seeing the moon shining through clouds and thinking, that's amazing. These clouds make the earth so dark, yet the sun is shining around the world into the moon and it's beaming back through a gap in the cloud to the earth and shining into a dark place. And I was praying a lot about reflecting God's glory and trying to reflect it. I didn't tell anyone about this, but on the prayer course when we split into our groups of three, one of the women who was praying for me said, when I'm praying for you, I've got the song, Shine Jesus, Shine in my head. And there's light all around you. I think God wants to say that you are reflecting his glory. And I was just, it, was, it did, it blew me away. <laughs> it was something that I couldn't think. But what stood out for me most and what, what I took from it most was actually, I was hearing God through this way that I thought was just my mind. Now I'd been able to connect images that I'd seen with scripture. I've been able to do that for years. I see something growing in a path and I think of the parable of the sower and how nothing grows in a path. And I think actually creating a path takes work. <laughs> and actually if we're on the path, we're probably working to keep it a path. Um, but loads of things that come to my mind in, in the past had been God speaking, but I hadn't realized he had been speaking to me. I just thought it was me. Um, and maybe it's the same for you. Maybe there's a way in which God is speaking to you. You're learning truths, but you just don't realize that he has been speaking to you. Maybe you're closer to God than you think. The story for me highlights one of the biggest benefits of prophecy, actually in that it confirms to people what God is already speaking to them about. Um, it allows them to know that God cares and that he is speaking. There's other ways of testing God's voice and knowing if it's him, from him or not. Pete Greg, uh, Greg has a book called Hearing from God and within that he talks about an ABC test. Is what he's saying affirming? Is it biblical? Is it Christ-like? Um, and he uses that it's particularly for if you're trying to learn how to prophesy to start with that you don't start off with the prophecies of the Old Testament on judgment <laughs> but actually you speak affirming things into people's lives it's, a, it's an easier way to start especially because we see through a glass darkly so I want to encourage you if you're feeling that you're struggling to hear God speak if it seems that everyone else is getting pictures and visions and it leaves you thinking, why can't I hear God? Then maybe you are hearing from him, just maybe not in the same way that others are. Um, I mentioned that I'd found that week really fruitful where we were listening to God through the things that I saw um, and I heard loads of stuff. But I don't want you to think, well, Joel is amazing. He hears, he's very close to God. He hears loads from him. Um, I'm not. I don't hear in all sorts of ways. On the course, we were, the course was about praying for other people in small groups, hearing God and what he had to say for them. And I got nothing. I was sitting there praying for people. I would have prayed blessing on them, but I, had, I just had nothing coming to my mind for the people around me. It's an area I'd love to grow in and I want to grow in it. And I'm going to be seeking to grow in it. I'm seeking to listen to God's voice in whatever way he will speak. But... God speaks to different people in different ways at different times. Um, so, yeah, just be available to hearing him in a different way if you're not hearing him in the way that you think you should be. So, um, <clears throat> we'll move on to barriers uh, to hearing God's voice because 
yes, we may be hearing him in just different ways, but there are real barriers to hearing his voice. So during that week when I was, in fact, it probably was more than a week because I was having so much fruit from it, I kept going. I enjoyed listening to God that way. And I still try and do it, I suppose. Um, but during that week when I was trying to listen to God that way, I was having problems with my phone. Basically, I would plug my phone in to try and charge it, and occasionally it would connect, and other times it would just there'd be nothing, and I'd wiggle the port around until I got something and try and put down the phone really carefully with something under the lead to try and make sure that the, char- the phone kept charging. Um, so I was at the point where this was getting really frustrating. I didn't want to get rid of the phone because it's got loads of memory left, uh, I'm stingy, I don't want to spend money on a new phone. Um, lots, of, lots of reasons. I, I'm not that particularly fussed about new phones. I'm quite happy with the old one. Uh, it's a lot of work changing phones. So going to keep the phone. But then I was thinking, well, I'm going to have to change this phone because I think the port is worn in some ways. And I thought that either the charger cable, I tried a new one, it didn't work, or the port inside the phone was worn and it just wasn't going to connect that way. But before getting rid of the phone, I thought, I'm going to look online and see if anyone else has had this problem and that there's a solution to it, because that's what I do. And um, looked online and found that actually it's quite a common problem, that it's not caused by worn connection at all. What it's caused by is a blockage in the connection. So there's some stuff, dirt has got into the little port at the bottom of the phone, and basically it's preventing you plugging the cable all the way in and because I've got a case on it was hard to see that um, so what the guy online suggested was that you whittle down a toothpick scrape around inside the port um, and take out whatever dirt it is and then your charger will work and he did this he had a bit of lint in there came out no problem plugged it in perfect I thought great I'll give that a go whittled down a toothpick scraped around nothing came out and charged, plugged it back in, no, no benefit. But I could see, now that I knew what the problem was, that there was a bit of, it wasn't plugging quite all the way in. So I thought, okay, it's not recommended apparently, but I used a needle. Um, so you can damage your phone, don't do this at home, whatever. <laughs> My phone was going in the bin anyway if it didn't work, so I thought I'd give it a go. So got a, a sewing needle, and really scraped hard at it, and a little bit of dust came out. Plugged it back in, probably a bit better, the connection, but it certainly wasn't giving me a lot of confidence. I could still see there was a gap. So I got a torch, looked in, and saw that there was loads of just caked dirt, probably concrete dust from building work, um, that had just been packed in over time. So I used the needle and scraped away at that until I got out little basically lumps of dirt that came out plugged it back in and my phone charged in like half an hour and I was like all night to charge before but it was suddenly charging right again um so I reflected on this because it it stood out for me as, as something a bit different in my week so I thought I'll reflect on this and see if God is speaking to me about it um Certainly, it was speaking into the problem that I was working, mulling over in my mind at the time, which was um, basically, how do I connect with God? I was dissatisfied with my connection, that sometimes I felt like I was on full power, and other times it felt like there was nothing at all. Um, So, um, where was I? Yeah, somewhere. Uh, and I wouldn't have actually even reflected on it if I wasn't doing the prayer course. So again, it was just knowing that there is a way that God can speak to you through these things that made me even reflect on it at all. Um, but it, it sort of raised the, the possibility for me that there is a blockage between connection between me and the Father, or between us and the Father at times. Um, Jesus seemed to have a perfect connection all the time. He never seemed to need to scrape out anything to plug that 
to get the, the phone connected plugged in, but we've got loads of things blocking that connection between us and God. Um, all we can do. And then I reflect on it a bit more and I thought, if this is the case, if there is a blockage between us and God, maybe that blockage for some of us is just like lint. It's really easy to get out with a very easy little tool. But for some of us, the blockage is a bit more serious and it requires stronger tools in order to remove these blockages. It made me reflect on what sort of tools can we use to remove blockages between us and God. Um, and it also made me reflect on the fact that, well, if I had dealt with it earlier on, it might not have been such a difficult job to clean that blockage in the future. So sometimes if we leave a blockage between us and God in place for a long time, it actually becomes a bigger deal and harder to remove as we go down the road. It also reflects on it thinking, well, I learned something from somebody else on YouTube on how to remove this blockage. Who can we learn from that will help us to remove the blockages in our lives? Are there ways in which we can learn from one another? As we've, we've had blockages in our walk with God, if we share those blockages and how we've recovered from them, can it help others to remove those blockages too? Um, and what tools can we use? So for our final few minutes together, I'd like us to consider some of these blockages and what we can do to remove them. Now, I'm gonna skim over this quite quickly because I realize that I am probably running quite, quite long. Um, and to be honest, they could each be a series of sermons in themselves. You could spend uh, probably weeks on each of the blockages. So, but here are some of the blockages there are to connection with God. So ones that came to my mind anyway, as I was thinking about it. First one is, and probably one of the most major ones, is when we live by the flesh rather than by the spirit. So Romans chapter 8, verses 3 to 8 says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What we're trying to do here is walk according to the Spirit. Um, we're trying to follow God in the way that He leads. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, it does not submit to God's Lord. law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So, if we're trying to listen to God and follow His Spirit, but we're setting our minds not on the things of the Spirit, but on the things of the flesh, that's not going to work. We can either set our minds on the things of the flesh or the things of the Spirit. We have to choose. It can't be both at the same time. They're at war with one another. So, and if we want to live by the Spirit, if we want to set our minds on the things of the Spirit, we need to die to the things of the flesh a little bit. We cannot put our own desires above God's Spirit and His Word to us. If we do, we're basically saying, God, please speak to us but we'll listen when it suits our flesh, our gender, our lives. Um, and what good father accepts that? Very bad sort of uh, summary of Charles Spurgeon, but basically Charles Spurgeon says something like this, that the only requirement for answered prayer when you are praying the sinner's prayer and you are repenting is that of sincerity. If you are sincerely sorry and repentant, God will answer that prayer no matter what sin is in your life. But when we become children of God, when we come into his family, we come under family rules. And what father is going to answer the requests of a son who wants to live under different rules, uh, but get the benefits of his house? So 
the idea is that once we come under the household of God, we need to live according to his rules. Otherwise, answering our requests is just going to encourage our rebellion. The other thing that blocks, well, the next thing, number two, that blocks our ability to hear God is hurry and busyness. And I know that this is something that that can probably strike all of us in the modern day. Um, and it's the enemy's, well, the enemy is there. He does not want us to walk in close relationship with God. He doesn't want us to be walking in step with the Spirit because then God's kingdom will be coming on earth as it is in heaven. So he wants to distract us. And that's one of his most powerful tools is to distract us. And if he can keep us busy and hurrying from one thing to another, then it's not likely that we're going to be able to listen to God and spend time doing that. Um, Sometimes listening to God takes time. It says, be still and know that I am God. And throughout the Psalms, it tells us to wait on the Lord. And the disciples were told to go and wait in the upper room until the Holy Spirit came upon them. So listening to God requires us waiting and being still at times. Um, And if we don't have time for God to interrupt our lives, and even if he did speak to us and we're so busy, would we have time to even do what he asks us to do? Um, So the world is busy, and we're not going to lie about that. We all have busy jobs. We've got lots of responsibilities. But somebody said to me yesterday, when God made time, he made plenty of it. Um, and that's a common phrase. I know that it's simplistic. And I know it's simplistic to say that we all have choices about our time and how we fill it. But we do, to a large degree, do we really need to be doing all the things that we are doing? Are we prioritizing time with God? Do we have space for him to interrupt our lives? And what can we do to reduce distractions? For me, probably this is one of the biggest. It's very easy if I'm bored at all. Rather than speak to God, I look at something on this. Um, And the devil has other tools to stop us listening to God. He puts lies into our minds which form strongholds in the long term. There's loads of others. I'm not going to go there now because, again, that would just make this really long. Um, But the next thing I'd like to talk about or think about is pride. It's a big one. God's, the Bible says, God knows the proud from afar, from far away. He keeps them at arm's length. He doesn't have them close. First Peter 5 verse 5 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And often it talks about God leading the humble in what is right and teaching them his ways. It doesn't say that about the proud. Pride seems to be the thing, one, one of the sins that God hates the most. And it's probably because it's at the root and the heart of all sin. Pride is what causes us not to submit to God. Pride is what wants, makes us want to put ourselves into his place. And James tells us that God does not tempt us. If we're struggling with pride and God was to answer our prayers every time we prayed, would that not just increase our pride? God listens to me. Answering our prayers then would be God tempting us to go further into a sin that he hates. Pride is rebellious and pride breaks relationships both with him and with other people. And this leads us to our final blockage, which is how we treat other people. When God talks about not answering people's prayer in Scripture, it's usually in response to how we've treated other people on earth. In the letter of John, uh, first letter of John, it tells us that if we can't love our brother whom we can see, how can we say we love God who we can't see? And Peter tells us that if husbands must treat their wives, then God will not answer their prayers. In Isaiah 58, the people of Israel are complaining to God, saying, Why don't you hear our prayers? Why don't you answer us? Where are you? We pray to you and we fast and we're crying out to you, but you're not answering. And God says this. He says, Behold, on the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. 
Behold, ye fast only to quarrel and fight, and to hit with wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow one's head like a reed, and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will spring up speedily. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry out, and he will say, Here I am. There are many other examples about how relationships affect our relationships with others, affect our relationship with God. So if we do have relationship issues that we've left unresolved, maybe we need to sort these out. As much as it is up to us, it's not always possible to sort them out, but as much as it is up to us, we sort them out if we want to have a close relationship with the Father. So, very briefly, what can we do to remove some of the blockages? Um, I believe that God loves us, that he is desperate to communicate with us. He is speaking all of the time. And if there's a problem in our communication with God, it's not at his end. It's either sin or distraction or lies of the devil to us. And the first step in trying to restore that connection with God is recognizing that we have a problem. If we're frustrated at our current level of connection to God, this is our starting point. And if we're at that point, where's the best place to go but to check with the manufacturer? If it's a problem with connection, don't look on YouTube, check with the manufacturer. <laughs> um, but he's likely to have the solution to the problem for us. So ask him for help to fix the problem. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Ask God to help you, to connect with him. Ask God to show you where the blockages are. So after recognizing the problem and asking God for help, is there anything else we can do to go about hearing him better? Are there any tools that we can use? So the first problem we had was setting our minds on the flesh rather than on the spirit. And I think one of the tools we can use in that situation is that of fasting. The Bible talks about the fasting as afflicting the flesh. Um, it's a time of affliction where we ignore the desires of our flesh as, we, as a way of setting our minds on the things of the spirit. And in my experience, this never feels spiritual. <laughs> Maybe other people have it different and they fast and they feel completely next to God. But I think if it's a spiritual discipline done over a period of time as a regular practice, and I look back over those times in my life where I've done that, it's been a time where I've really grown in my closeness to God. It hasn't felt miraculous or magic in any way. It's not a magic pill. We saw in Isaiah 58 that you can do it completely wrong and God will not answer your prayers anyway. But it can be a way of us putting to death the desires of our flesh, or at least practicing that. The other thing is obedience. If we do not obey God in what he has already told us to do, why is he going to tell us anything new? So let's just obey what he tells us when he tells us it. Simple, maybe. Uh, the next thing is to eliminate distractions in your life. Don't take your phone to bed and try and carve out some time to listen to God. Um, and the tools that we use are soul training exercises or holy habits or spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them. Um, 
and again that's a whole series but there's two that I can recommend to you and both you can find on the Lecture 365 app. One is called Lecture Divina and the other is Examine. If you're struggling to hear God, one of the easiest ways to hear Him is Lecture Divina, which just means the art of spiritual reading. So we're reading the Bible with the intention of hearing God speak. We pray as we read and we ask Him to make something stand out to us. We listen to what He has to say to us and we pray about it and put it into practice. And we know that we're hearing God's voice because it's from the Bible. It's, it's very easy to know that it is God's voice to us. Examine, you tend to do at the end of the day and it's part of, it's, it's a, a holy habit or whatever of looking back over the day and recognizing where God has spoken to us in the past or over the day. And it gets us used to the whole idea of listening to his voice and what did it feel like when he spoke to us and recognizing that actually he has probably spoken to us more frequently than we realize. It also gives us the opportunity to reflect on and respond to any sin that we have in our life. And if we want to know that we're hearing God's voice again, try asking him to reveal your sin to you. Uh, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin and if we ask him to show us sin and we become aware of sin, it's very clear that God is speaking to us about that. And again, we probably hear God's voice more than we think we do. So I know I've covered loads of ground. There are places that I've skimmed over very quickly and I apologize for that. Um, but as I said at the start, if you can cling to one thing from today to take away with you, um, do that. There's plenty in there to challenge you and to to take away and to 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 grow. And so, if God is speaking to you about anything in particular, grasp that and take that with you. I'd like to finish just by praying uh, from Psalm 25. Make we make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right. He teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Amen.